calls your name. I want to count of three. I want everybody to say their name out loud. You ready? This is your participation point for the service. On the count of three, I don't want just a little. I want to hear the loud name. You ready? One, two, three. That's great. You know your name. I'm glad you know your name. Because I got you in a good day. That's good. Because if you didn't know your name, we'd all be a little bit in trouble for you, right? But there is one without a doubt. There is no questioning. He can shout it out this very moment. And even though your name, your first name may be the same as many people's names around the world, he knows you not just by name, but he knows who you are as a person and individual. Why? Because he created you. The Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of all things, he gave that initial life spark in your mother's womb. And he has known you even before the beginning of time. And he can call you by name. He can call you by name to give you encouragement. He can call you by name to warn you to stay clear from something. He can call you by name to bring bring a rebuke sometimes to say, where are you at? What's going on? I'm always amazed by God showing up in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve sinned, and he started calling out, where are you? Not that he lost his little people, but he wanted them to acknowledge where they are. And sometimes when Jesus calls your name, it's for you to give credence and wake up and say, here I am, this is my name. Yes, Lord, I am listening. And Becky's testimony this morning is one of the examples of the many, many times that God will call your name in life. What is he saying to you in this season on this Mother's Day? There's different uh, names that Jesus calls out in Scripture. And so we've taken a couple weeks to look at two. The first was Mary. When Mary uh, was uh, at the tomb, Mary Magdalene and Mary uh, did not recognize Jesus, thought he was the gardener, and Jesus turned to her and said, Mary... And uh, her eyes were enlightened and she was endeared. She was the first eyewitness of Christ being raised from the dead. And then last week we looked at Jesus calling the name of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a well-to-do business kind of person, but he also had a little corrupt side to him. And he turned his life to become a Christ follower. And last week we also had the opportunity to have a young man by the name of Levi who was... uh, an individual at the age of 11, my son, Melissa and I's son, Levi, if you were here, and he has Down syndrome, and he shared on this stage when God called his name at a Good Friday service, when I was declaring, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus calling that from the cross, but Levi felt at a young age that Jesus was calling his name. I want to give you a little addition to that story from last week. Different ones of you said that was endearing to you, and it was. This week, Levi on Friday, his class, his extended adult learning uh, class that he's a part of at Chaparral, uh, had visited San Jacinto College because they have a special needs resource um, uh, kind of program there, and they stopped by, his whole class did, to eat in and out and Miguel Jr.'s, and I knew they were coming, so I went over and I said hi to him, and after they were done eating, that class came over to get on their bus, but they were hanging around and waiting, and, and we were pointing out, this is where Levi goes to church. And I said, do you want to come and see what's inside? And they all said yes. So we walked Levi's whole special needs class through, and we all stood there in the back, and I told them that Levi was on this stage last Sunday and that he was able to tell other people that he became a Christ follower at the age of 11, and he was able to have a witness to his classroom. Isn't that pretty cool how God works out something like that? 
God can use every person in this room to be a witness for him because he calls each of us by name. It's not about church going. I'm glad you're here today at church to worship and to hear God's word. It's not about a bunch of religious practices and rituals. What we're talking about when it comes to the big epic story of what God's doing in this world is he's calling us into an intimate community where he knows us. And so the most important thing in this series is for you to understand that you are called by Jesus himself. He knows your name. And he's not calling you to a bunch of religious practices and to, to straight, put a straight jacket on and alter your personality, this kind of thing. He's just calling you to foremostly one thing. And he's calling you to himself. To spend time with him, to learn from him, to be on a journey with him, to let him transform you from the inside out through the presence of his spirit. You are called by Jesus. You are called to Jesus, but in being called to Jesus, he knows best how our lives need to be wired. And so he has instructed us how to live through his word. And so we are called to obey. And so one of the reasons you're here today is to be able to take God's word and to learn from it so that you can not just have more loaded lumber in your head to say you know the Bible and you can be a Bible thumper to other people. Who cares? The word of God is for us to obey and be transformed by. And your program is uh, an insert that I went ahead and put in light of next week's um, potluck and baptism. I was not baptized until uh, several years after I became a Christ follower. And then I hesitated to be baptized because I thought, oh my goodness, if I'm not baptized like right on the heels of becoming a Christ follower, then people will think that I've been a hypocrite or living as a pagan my whole life or something, right? But I remember being baptized when I was a senior in high school at Miracle Camp in Lawton, Michigan, camp that we all went to as students. And uh, my senior year, the year after, I, I can't exactly remember, but that was transformative to me because it was one of those acts of obedience I never did. That scripture says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't get your sins washed away. It's symbolic that when you're immersed in the water and you're raised out of the water, you're buried to the old life and you're raised to the new life. And I doubted my salvation for a number of years. I believe foremostly because I was not obedient to everything God was calling me to do. And that was one of those steps of obedience that helped sort of anchor and seal my faith and, and propel me into the future of serving God. And I want to encourage you, if you have never been baptized as a believer, you may have been baptized as an infant, or maybe you sort of got involved and in, in a bunch of young people go, oh, everybody's getting baptized. or something. If you've not been baptized as a believer, and that's what Scripture teaches, is believer's baptism, that on the other side of committing your life to Christ, that you follow in this public declaration of faith, I want to encourage you to mark the back of your Connect card. Come talk to me today. And Follow the Lord in this step of obedience to baptism. Or maybe you're a brand new believer. You've never had the opportunity to follow the Lord in this public declaration. It's a quaint family environment, hot tub. It's a very nice baptismal tank. I'll just tell you that. Better than we can put up here on this stage, right? And just come and let's go celebrate everybody together. Bring your food and let's see who the Lord would um, just affirm in a public declaration of that faith. 
All you have to say is to be able to declare, I believe, but you also have opportunity to give a word of testimony if you want to as well. But that inserts in the program for you to be able to hear a little bit more about baptism. But this called by Jesus, called to Jesus, called to obey, I am a firm believer that sometimes, and, and maybe we can get our ways changed here as the church a little bit, when you became a Christ follower, you were baptized immediately on the heels of it. Because there shouldn't be a gap. You shouldn't have done what I did. I, I don't know why how I messed up on that, right? But wherever it's at, follow the Lord in that public declaration of faith. Being baptized, being raised from the dead, kind of a visual aspect, and being incorporated in the community of Christ. And they had people who were baptized daily, and the Lord added to their number tens of thousands of people over those first few years because there was this movement of public declaration as well as private profession of faith, all right? So called by Jesus, called to Jesus, called to obey. Zacchaeus obeyed. He came down out of the tree, and uh, Jesus went to his house that day. We're going to look at Jesus stopping in at someone else's house. And uh, it must have been a common occurrence, right? And this is in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, uh, they were just moving from one place to another. They're walking around his disciples. How many were there? Twelve, right? They'd replaced uh, you know, everybody, and they were, they were moving through. There were probably some other people collected, but there were at least twelve plus Jesus. That's thirteen. So thirteen people hanging outside this house. They were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. You familiar with this story? Sometimes this story is, well, that's a good Mother's Day story, right? Where is he going to go with this one? Well, you hang with me. I think there's value in it for everybody today. But here's Jesus, the 13. They're hanging outside, and they're in front of Mary and Martha's house. Martha is most likely the owner of this house. This was also the house where Lazarus lived, all right? And it was a part of. So it was a couple sisters and a brother. And they're there, and so they move into the house, and as they're into the house, Jesus begins to teach and to share. I don't know what kind of furniture he pulled himself up on, or they sat on the floor, or how they did it, but he begins teaching, and how exciting, Jesus, Jesus is in my house. If they would have had phones or internet, they would have been, you know, buzzing, smartphone, and people, hey, guess who's over at my house? I can't believe it, you know? I heard that somebody who's connected with our church was on his way to uh, uh, Washington, D.C. To, uh, to represent Riverside as uh, a part of the sheriff's department. And he was going to be able to meet uh, President uh, Trump and be a part of the White House stuff. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I look forward to, to seeing how that goes, right? Well, friends, this is more exciting than having the president of the United States or you pick the popular star or the celebrity in your house. This was Jesus, one of these Individuals they thought was going to transform their world as the Messiah into their house. And where do we find Martha's sister, Mary? We find Mary at the feet of Jesus. And he was speaking and she was listening. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Have you experienced this scene in your house ever? (laughs) We had a little bit of tension in our house this week over this very thing. 
for some reason, one sibling to another was, where are you going? You're not going to your bedroom. We've got to do the dishes. You stay here and help me do the dishes, right? And so there's always this, hey, what's up? What's going on? I'm really serving. I'm working really hard. What's happening? And so this story, and it's only in Luke that we have this story. So it's interesting to me. And if you see how Luke lines up some of his stories, it's really a valuable place for it to be placed. And so Martha gets frustrated because her sister is not helping make the bread, prepare the drinks, set the table, give attention to all the details. If you have 13 people show up your house on the spur of the moment, do you think there's need for having help in the kitchen? You bet there is. And the whole house. And your sister, who maybe you're paying the bills for, is just sitting there. What you doing? Hey, psst. Okay. I don't maybe she started to do it in a, in a like a low tone effort a little bit. No, it wasn't working. So Martha interrupts the whole discourse and she calls Mary out and then she calls Jesus out. What are you doing? Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, that's a pretty bold statement, don't you think? What's Jesus going to do? Get up, Mary, yeah, get on there, help her, man. I'm ready to eat some food. <laughs> no. He turns back to the sister that owns the house. And he calls her by name. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. What did your parents do when they needed to get your attention? They yell at you or whatever. Maybe they you know, bring out a stick or something or they threaten something. But a lot of times, the middle name was used, wasn't it? <laughs> Carrie D. Bowman. Melissa Dawn Cole. We do it to our own kids. Ryan James Bowman. Zachary Cole Bowman. We sort of use that. Well, in Scripture times, you know what they did? They repeated the name. Martha. Martha. Now, I know, so don't, don't go Marsha, Marsha, Marsha on me, all right? <laughs> the Brady Bunch thing. But Martha, Martha. And it was used that way to draw extra attention. So when Martha was called out by name, not just once, but twice, friends, the room went a little silent. Oh, no, there's tension in here now. Martha just called her sister out and then told Jesus to do something about it. And Jesus came back and called her name twice. Martha, Martha. Oh, but what does the Lord say? He says that the perspective of Martha needs to change in that present moment. 
Have you heard Jesus not only call you by name, but call you twice by name to say, wake up to this present moment. See what's going on here. Or are you just running from one event to the next event to the next week to the next month? And you're not slowing down to hear what Jesus was wanting to say to you this morning even about your life and the pace that you're living and the things that you're consumed by. There's two aspects of disciple making that I want to give adherence to in this story because you can take the viewpoint of either Martha or Mary. And here's the reality. Both of them were doing what God would have had them to do in that particular moment in one sense. But from this, to become a disciple, a better follower of Jesus, there's the negative aspect that Martha's worry with assessing others as she performs what she is called to do needed to be called out. Mary was not called on the carpet or the dirt floor, whatever they had, because she was serving What she was doing was what she was called to do. She was called out by Jesus because she began to assess her life in comparison to her sister. He didn't tell her, oh, no, don't do the food. We're fine. You know, we can do, you know, we can call for in and out or get pizza delivered or something, that kind of thing. You know, it's like she was preparing the meal and setting the deal. And that's all good. But when Martha turned to start taking her calling and her aspiration and imposing it on someone else, then the Lord called her out. And we as disciples of Jesus have to be very mindful of this. There's different kinds of people, multiple gifts within the body of Christ across this very room here. And God's called some of you to do one thing and some of you to do other things. And we work together as a body. All right, but not everybody's a hand, not everybody's an eye, not everybody's a foot, as Scripture teaches. We work together as a body. And so our attention should be towards others doing what God's called them to do. And so as a disciple of Jesus Christ, maybe you here this morning, are you giving too much attention to assessing what other people are doing or not doing around you? It's none of your business, you might say, right? Well, I'm called to teach and encourage and instruct others. What about my kids? Yes, all within reason. But you need to understand when you're called by Jesus and you're called to Jesus and you're called to obey, there are things He will put upon your heart that will never ever be put upon the heart of another person. You are not held accountable for those things of the other person. You're held accountable for what you're called to do. And so Jesus was just asking Martha, To not get vindictive, bossy, you fill in the blank, that she needed to attend to what her calling was. So there's this negative aspect of disciple making, and then there's this one. The positive one is that Mary, there's Mary's wisdom in seeking some time at the feet of Jesus. Mary spent time at the feet of Jesus to learn and to hear from him. Because Mary wanted to know Jesus more. Mary wanted to be able to um, not just know him as who he was walking along the road. She wanted to intimately know Jesus and about everything Jesus was trying to impart to her people and how she could have more of God in her life. And here was this would-be Messiah, this rabbi, this teacher. And so she took the posture of sitting at his feet. I think I've mentioned that before. In those 
days in that culture, the women didn't get to sit at the feet of the rabbis. In fact, it was a very dismissive culture sometimes of women and what they could or could not do. And Jesus came along and liberated women. Liberated women that they're equals to men. And so it would be okay, it should be common that a woman should be at the feet of Jesus just like the men were at the feet of Jesus. And it's really just sort of sad in our culture today. Here we are, what, 2,000 years later, and we're pitting people one against another, whether it's ethnically, whether it's gender, you know, you name it. It's like Jesus' goal was to free everybody to be equals and to be able to have direct access to him and to be used by him in whatever capacity he so chose. So those two aspects of disciple making, the negative one is do not be preoccupied by assessing what others need to be doing. Let it go. But you do need to give attention to what you need to be doing. And Mary chose a one good thing as Jesus recommended her, commended her for, and that was to seek time at his feet. So here's some key takeaways I just want you to grab from this passage. The first is ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You ever heard that phrase before? This phrase was branded on me when I was younger because I cannot spend time with Jesus if I'm ruthlessly in a hurry, whether it's preparing a meal or building a church building or you know, preparing a message, whatever it may be in my own personal life. I am interested in eliminating hurry so I can spend more time pacing myself to be in the presence of God. And whether that's in a moment, one-on-one encounter, or just with him during the course of a day. How do you ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life? You have to practice it in every day. I practice it when I go get gas at Sam's Club. (laughs) I'm gauging which line's the shortest, which one can I get in, it'll go through the quickest, right? And then you get in a line, you go, I can't believe that one pump's not working. Or, oh my goodness, i got a bunch of SUVs in front of me. You know? I just have to tell myself, it's okay, Carrie. Just be patient. Eliminate the hurry. Or the Clinton Keith Road. I love the Clinton Keith Road. Some of you travel the Clinton Keith Road back to French Valley. You know, you go up here past, uh, um, up towards uh, Vista Marietta, and you get on there, and you sort of head down. And that's a nice six-lane highway, isn't it? And for the first couple months, they didn't put up speed signs. We were just all cruising, cruising over to French Valley. Woo! And then the 55-mile-an-hour signs went up. It went, 55? It's 55 over by my house, not this lane here. Well, the first day those signs went up, you know what I had to tell myself? Carrie, this Clinton Keith Road is going to help you ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Even if you go 10 miles an hour faster, you're not going to get home all that much quicker. So why don't you just park it right there at 55, maybe a little bit over 55 to keep up with traffic around you, and just spend the time thanking Jesus as you're driving back to French Valley, first of all, that the Clinton Keith Road is there. And then second, that they built a ramp for elephants to go across that you can go through the tunnel (laughs) for animals. But must be some heavy cougars or something, I don't know. But I am practicing eliminating hurry when I say I'm just going to think about the Lord and pray and thank the Lord as I'm driving on this nice little stretch of Clinton Keith. 
Now, those are a couple things I do in my life, but I'm trying to encourage you here on a practical level. Some of you are so wound up, you're running at RPMs at such a high level, you're going to blow a gasket. And you have to discipline your life to eliminate, hurry from your life, because if you do not, you will miss the best thing. You will miss living in the presence of the Lord every day. And so that's what I want to say secondly, is practice the presence of Jesus in each day, in each day. I read this this week, and it highlights uh, some of my main interests as it relates to what I want you to think about with this, because I know there's different seasons in her life. Jacqueline was an elderly woman who lived to take care of her daughter who was wheelchair-bound. When her daughter died, Jacqueline not only lost her purpose for living, she lost her living companion. Her cottage in the country seemed as empty as an eggshell. Occasionally a friend would call or a note note would arrive, but most of her time was spent in oppressive, ongoing solitude. Her health didn't allow her to circulate uh, very much, and her best friends were now all in heaven. One day Jacqueline's Bible opened to Philippians 4, 5, and four words struck her forcefully. The Lord is near. If so, thought Jacqueline, I should be more aware of it. Lord, she said. I'm going to pretend you're here all the time. No, forgive me for using that word. There is no pretending to be done. I'm going to use my God-given imagination to visualize how very present you really are. Help me ever remind myself of the reality of your nearness. That evening as she retired, she said, I'm going to bed now, Lord. Will you please watch over me as I sleep? The next morning on awakening, she said, Good morning, Lord. This is the day you have made. Sitting down with her hot tea, she read through the book of Philippians again, underlining verse 5. Then she prayed aloud for a very long time. At noon, she said, Now, Lord, let's watch the news on television so you can show me things in this world that I can pray for. Jacqueline and the Lord watched the news together. Then she prayed for flood victims in the Delta, a newly installed president in an African country, and for a man sentenced to life imprisonment. At supper, she bowed her head and thanked the Lord for her food, but she didn't feel her prayers were traveling up to the heavens. She felt instead she was talking to someone sitting across the table from her. Gradually, her attitude was transformed. The loneliness lessened. Her joy increased. Her fears diminished, and she never afterwards felt she was alone in the house. Jacqueline was learning how to abide in his presence. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life and then do what it takes for you to practice the presence of the Lord. That whole idea of watching the television with Jesus, the news, I think that's pretty cool. Instead of getting all caught up with the stress of this or that happening or this person said this or didn't say that, say, Lord, I'm going to watch the news the best of my ability and not get anxious or frustrated, but maybe there's some ways that I can press in and pray for the needs of the world or maybe the needs of another person as I'm reminded. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Practice the presence of Jesus in each day. And then third, be devoted to the words of Jesus in the Word. Some of you have teachers around here. There's something called Word Within the Word. I remember us trying to teach our kids Word Within the Word. It was a Zionsville thing. Maybe that's where it came from. And I got so bothered by that. I'm like, stop looking for the Word Within the Word and explain that. Just understand the Word and learn your vocabulary here. Right? But the word within the word as it relates to Jesus is important. 
Jesus was wanting to speak to you a word, but you cannot have that word spoken to you unless you are in his word. And I encourage you to read wherever the red letters are. Do you know the red letters, what they're there for? If you've got a red letter edition, I always buy a red letter edition. Those are the words of Jesus. Let the words of Jesus speak to you. So you're eliminating hurry, you're practicing his presence, and then you're spending time in his word. You can't go and sit at the feet of Jesus physically today, but you can through his spirit. Say, Jesus, I'm going to park here now, and I am going to allow you to speak into my life. And some of you are having a hard time finding time to do that, to sit at the feet of Jesus. And you just need to find your way. Maybe it's when your toddler goes down for a nap and you sort of take a half an hour to sort of sneak away and spend time in his word. Maybe you decide to get up early on your commute and you get there an hour early and you find the coffee shop that's next door and you spend time and you're just going to read the word before you walk across the street and walk into work. Maybe it's, it's, it's something where you got to go pick a kid up from school and you know you don't know when they're going to come out of those doors, right? So you spend all the time, I'm just going to have a Bible in my car and I'm going to spend time there reading the words of Jesus. Spend time looking for time where you can sit at his feet. No one else is going to do it for you. No one. And this is alive and active. The Spirit of God speaks through His Word. If you don't understand part of it, take a note of it, take a mental note, and move on. Continue to ask the Lord to speak to you through His Word. And the fourth thing I mentioned here is to serve to an audience of one in all things. Why? Because what Mary was doing was great. She was the Energizer Bunny. You know those people, they just sort of keep going and going and going and going. Where do they get this energy from, right? Some of you say, I wish I could do that again, right? But Martha, she, she was taking care of things. She was moving around. She was doing all kinds of stuff. She was, you know, preparing the food and she was taking care of the house and she was out there greeting people on the street. What is it that you're doing to serve the Lord? Praise God. He's called you to do that. But are you doing it to impress others in the living room who are waiting for the food? Or are you serving Jesus in your vocation, in your church, in your house, because you are doing it for him and his glory. It's an act of worship. You see, Mary was there worshiping at Jesus' feet, learning from him. But what Martha was doing and serving was worship too. If she was doing it for the audience of one. If she was doing it to get accolades from other people or to impose agendas on her sister, then that's not true. But she was serving for the audience of one. I remind the band every now and then when they're up here singing. You're not singing for the audience. You're singing for the audience of one. And that audience of one is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter how good or how poor your skill set is in whatever you do. He takes it and receives it if it's done with a pure heart. So there's just a few takeaways. You're called by Jesus. You're called to Jesus. You're called to obey but you're also called to serve. And so I encourage you as you serve, serve him well because your mind is stayed on him and your heart is filled with him. This whole visual of Mary at the feet of Jesus is interesting to me through all my years because I try to balance what I call the 
abiding in Christ and the abounding in His work. And it's a tedious balance. But we can learn with time. Do you know that it's recorded in John that Jesus was back at the house of Mary and Martha. This is after Lazarus, their brother, was raised from the dead. It says this in John 12. Martha learned something. Look at this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive pure perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. One author said, wherever you found Mary, there was uh, odors going on. Sitting at the feet of Jesus and all the other disciples, there was probably an odor. Here, Mary is known for taking an expensive perfume jar and pouring it on Jesus' feet and wiping it. Martha was serving the dinner. She wasn't complaining this time about what Mary was doing. She had learned. She had learned. And Mary, God bless her heart, maybe the way she was wired in her soul, she was just so endeared. I don't want to say touchy-feely kind of person, but she knew how to emotionally connect, and she was just pouring out her love to Jesus. And it was a perfume washing of his feet in preparation for the cross that was about to come. You're called by Jesus, to Jesus. You're called to obey. And you are called to serve in whatever dimension God's called you to. Just serve in his presence. In Joshua 24, 14, it says this, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all of your faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped before the Euphrates River and the, in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. And then this verse that's hanged, hung in my office for a number of years. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Ladies, this morning on Mother's Day, will you serve the Lord? How will you serve the Lord out of frantic busyness and to earn favor? with Jesus and others, or will you serve out of the overflow of your love for him? As for me and my house, we will serve, and we will serve the Lord. Some of you uh, grew up in the 80s and 90s, as sort of me. There were gospel singers around that time. I listened to a lot of contemporary Christian music and others. And there was a uh, singer by the name of Larnell Harris, and, um, and that's not Lonnie Ritchie. It's Larnell Harris. How many of you knew who he was? In 86, he wrote a song. And I just wanted to read the lyrics of this song to you. I miss my time with you. There he was just waiting in your old familiar place, an empty spot beside him where once I used to wait to be filled with strength and wisdom, strength and wisdom for the battles of the day. I would have passed him by again, but I clearly heard him say, I miss my time with you, those moments together. I need to be with you each day, and it hurts me when you say you're too busy, busy trying to serve me. But how can you serve me when your spirit's empty, 
There's a longing in my heart wanting more than just a part of you. It's true. I miss my time with you. What will I have to offer? How can I truly care? My efforts have no meaning when your presence isn't there. But you'll provide the power if you take the time to pray. I'll stay right here beside you and you'll never have to say, I miss my time with you. Those moments together. I need to be with you each day, Jesus says. And it hurts me when you say you're too busy. Busy trying to serve me. But how can you serve me when your spirit's empty? There's a longing in my heart wanting more than just a part of you. It's true. I miss my time with you. And every time I come to this story, every time I feel my life frantic, I hear that still small voice that says, Carrie, Carrie, I miss my time with you. As I mentioned to you last week, it's been a full year for me personally and for our family. And as I was Preparing last night, I remembered this song and I pulled it up. And uh, Jesus was saying, hey, that song for you. Because my final takeaway is this. We need to serve others out of the overflow of our intimacy with Jesus. And he says, Jesus, he said to me, Carrie, I'm calling you to a fresh season of intimacy with me. So you can continue to serve to the audience of one. I miss my time with you. And so I looked up the Larnell Harris. I thought maybe I would have you hear that song played. And I came across another song. And you'll have to entertain me here this morning if you're in more of my generation. I mean, I can run the gamut. My mom's 89 years old and my daughter's freshman in high school. I came across a duet that Larnell was famous for with Sandy Patty. And I'm going to have us close with this song today. The ushers are going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings and any steps of obedience you want to take, including baptism. It's Mother's Day. we got some refreshments out there. Decide to keep it simple with Izzy's and cookies today, so hang around. Restaurants are really packed anyway, so just shoot for something in the mid-afternoon. But I want to close by letting you listen to this song, and the video is not very clear of it because it was done before there was HD. But I don't want you necessarily to listen to the performance of Larnell and Sandy Patty, who were people that were on a lot of Grammys and a lot of Dove Awards in the 80s and 90s. I want you to listen to Jesus. And I want you to say, can I find this kind of strength in my relationship and my intimacy with Jesus to serve out of the overflow of my love for him? I think it's inspirational. I trust you feel it is too. We'll close after this song, and then I will have us play the Larnell um, Harris song uh, if you want to stay and just spend some private moments with him. But let me pray first. Lord, I pray this morning that you would take these words of this intimate moment you had in Mary and Martha's and Lazarus' home, and you would remind us of the need to somehow to ruthlessly slow down, practice your presence, be in your word, and serve you as the audience of one. For Lord, we want to do all things out of an overflow of our love for you and our intimacy that's found with you. 
So Lord, wherever we're at in our spiritual journey, whether we're a longtime follower of yours or whether we're just checking church out for the first time here this morning, may you capture our hearts in the wonder of what it is that the God of the universe, through you, Jesus, and your spirit, we are able to have an intimate relationship with. And Lord, may we then serve others, beginning in our homes with our children. May we serve out of the overflow of our intimacy with you. For you are the wonderful Savior, and your name is more wonderful than anything. Amen. Ushers, please come. Spend your time worshiping the Lord.